Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. You know how you strive to stay productive during the day, yet there are all those buzzes, bings, and dings calling out to you from every direction? If you've ever felt like you could be so much more productive if only those distractions would just quiet down, then get ready to feel empowered. I had the pleasure of speaking with Nir Ayal, author of Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He was dubbed by the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. Bloomberg Businessweek wrote, Nir Ayal is the habits guy. And I learned a ton in this conversation. I hope you enjoy. Well, Nir, welcome to the Modern Mentor Podcast. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, and I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. So when I picked up your book, Indistractable, something that struck me about it pretty early on is that, as I understand it, you didn't just decide to start writing this book one day, but rather you wrote it as almost a little bit of an antidote to another book that you had written some years earlier. And I'd love for you to share a bit of that backstory with us. So my first book, Hook, so was much about better. how to build habit-forming products. And Indistractable is about how to break bad habits. And the good news is we can have our cake and eat it too. That we can use technology to help us build good habits in our lives. And uh, all sorts of companies from edtech to fintech to health tech, all kinds of companies use my first book, Hook, to help people build good habits in their lives. And of course, that's a wonderful thing, right? We want kids to get hooked to education. We want people to get hooked onto new health behaviors that, that help them live healthier lives. Uh, we want people to save money by changing their, their consumption habits. So there's all kinds of ways we can use technology to build good habits. But the unfortunate byproduct is that sometimes products are designed to be so engaging that we overuse them, right? Let's be very clear. Nobody's getting addicted to SaaS software. Nobody's getting addicted to the kind of crappy software that most of us have to use day in and day out that doesn't suck us in the way that Facebook and Twitter might suck us in. No, most software products out there just suck. So, so the idea is how do we build the kind of products and services that people use because they want to, not because they have to, that improve their lives. But we can also learn how to break the bad habits that don't serve us as well. And so I really think that's the promise and peril of technology is to realize that it's a tool. And, you know, a hammer can be used to build a home. 
It always amazes me how people will spend more time reading the instruction manual for their blender than they will uh, to understand how to properly use their phone. And we know that people are checking their phones on average 150 times per day. So we are spending hours and hours with these technologies, and most of us haven't bothered to spend 10 minutes to really understand how to use them in a way that serves us so that we don't feel like we are serving the devices. It's like the technology inside of our phones, inside our devices are so alluring. We've just almost allowed them to to take over. We just have to understand how to live with them and how to use them effectively. What I loved about your book and what really struck me when I was reading it is that there is no shortage of information out there on, you know, how to be more productive and how to better manage your time. But so many of those books and podcasts and resources are focusing on what I think you would call the external triggers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we sort of live with this assumption that it's not my fault that Facebook is distracting me and Instagram is calling my name. But what I think you would say is not that it's our fault, but when I am in the middle of working and I pick up my phone and start looking at Instagram, the problem isn't Instagram. The problem is that something internal to me has caused me to turn away from my work and Instagram is the thing that's there to catch me. I think you used a really important word, which is responsibility. And I would say that, uh, you know, these tech tools are not your fault. You didn't invent Facebook. You didn't invent email. You didn't invent the iPhone. These things were not your fault. You didn't invent them, but they are your responsibility. That lots of things in life are not our fault, but they are our responsibility. And so if we want the benefits of these tools, we have to learn how to use uh, them appropriately. And I would say that, you know, indistractable is not a user's guide to your phone. It's a user's guide to your brain. Because let's face it, distraction is nothing new. You know, as I talk about in the book, Plato, the Greek philosopher 2,500 years ago, complained about how distracting the world was. That uh, the kids those days, back in uh, ancient Greece, were always distracted. He called it akrasia in the in the Greek. And so this is not a new problem. People have been dis- distracted by all sorts of things since time immemorial. And with every new technology, we blame it for melting our brains. And so that's why dist- indistractable is not just about tech. It's really about all distraction. So to answer your question, the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. If you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you that it's focus, right? The opposite of distraction is focus. But that's not exactly right. That if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of the word distraction is traction. That both words, you'll notice, end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. And they actually both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you towards your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you plan to do. Anything that is not in accordance with your values, that pulls you further away from from, uh, becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this isn't just semantics. This is incredibly important because I would argue any action can be traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is forethought. That, look, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. If you want to go on Facebook, do it. If you want to play video games, awesome. Anything you want to do with your time is fine. Don't let these 
tech critics tell you, oh my God, it's hijacking your brain. It's ridiculous. It's the same moral argument we've heard time and time again. It's not the evil tech companies. It's deciding in advance how you want to use these products. Why would watching TV be somehow morally superior to going on Facebook or uh, playing a video game? There's no difference. Anything you plan to do with your time is fine as long as it's done with your values and according to your schedule, not somebody else's. And conversely, anything that is not what you plan to do is a distraction. So something that would get me all the time was this daily routine. I would sit at my desk and I would say, okay, now I'm going to work on that big project I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate. I have to get this one project done first thing in the morning. That's what I'm going to do. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now. But first, let me check some email, right? <laughs> let, let me scroll that Slack feed. Let me just do a couple other quick tasks here on my to-do list just to get the ball rolling, just to get started. And then 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour or two later, I still haven't worked on the thing I said I was going to work on. So by definition, just because a task is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. In fact, that's the most dangerous form of distraction. It's not Facebook. It's not YouTube. It's not your iPhone. It's the stuff you think is work-related and you do, but at the expense of the important hard work that you know you should have done with your time. That's the most dangerous form of distraction. So anything that is not what you plan to do is a distraction. Anything that is what you plan to do in advance is traction. So that's where we have traction, distraction. Now, what prompts us to these actions? We have two kinds of triggers. We have the usual suspects of external triggers. These are all the pings, dings, rings, and things. These are you know all the things that we tend to blame for distraction. But it turns out that studies find that that is only 10% of the reason you check your phone. 10% of the time you check your phone, do you check it because of some kind of external trigger? So what's the other 90%? The other 90% are what we call internal triggers. And this was the big aha moment for me in writing this book over the past five years. It turns out the number one source of distraction by far is not what is happening outside of you, but rather what is going on inside your own head. Overwhelmingly, distraction begins from within. Fundamentally, time management requires pain management because 90% of the time that we check our devices, 90% of the time that we get distracted, it is because of an internal trigger, a desire to escape an uncomfortable emotional sensation, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. This is the reason we get distracted. Fundamentally, time management requires pain management. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need some magic pill to help you focus. The vast majority of people simply don't have the skill set. They haven't learned the tools to deal with these uncomfortable emotions in a healthy way that leads them towards traction rather than harmful distraction. Te presentamos a la familia Rubio. Ellos hacen todo en familia. Rompecabezas, viajes a Walmart, ejercicios, cocinamos, todo. Y cuando supieron que la farmacia de Walmart tiene vacunas para todas las edades, desde HPV hasta neumonía, pues nos fuimos en familia a vacunarnos. Y de una vez hicimos nuestras compras. Like, obvio, Abu. <risas> Protege a tu familia con vacunas para todos. Haz una cita hoy con los farmacéuticos expertos de Walmart Pharmacy. Bienvenido a una farmacia más simple. Bienvenido a tu Walmart. Sujetas a disponibilidad y ley estatal aplicable. Se aplican restricciones según la edad. Pregúntale a tu farmacéutico por detalles. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. 
to move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. That really does resonate. I know you say time management is pain management, and I, I sometimes think about time management as, is about energy management, which maybe is a, is a different way to say a very similar thing. But when I read this, it felt very, in some ways, very empowering, right? Because suddenly I, I started to pay more attention to what was happening to myself, what was happening in my own day, right? I would be sitting down to write this podcast and suddenly I'd be checking my emails and I would be blaming my emails. But the reality was I was maybe writing at the wrong time of day and my energy wasn't in the right place. And so after reading your book, I felt like, you know what, I'm going to start booking my writing time first thing in the morning because it takes a certain level of my energy that I don't have as much later in the day. And so by shifting my writing to being something I do earlier in the day, I find that I'm less distracted because I'm not I'm not feeling the pain of writer's block, right? Yeah. In the morning, I have the energy and the space to do it. And so what I love is that your book is chock full of different strategies and tactics and actual things that people can use to both pay attention to what's happening internally, cut themselves a little bit of a break, and then make changes. So you talk about your internal triggers and managing those, and then you talk about what you do externally. And I'd love to start on the internal front because you have so many great ideas around how we can better pay attention to our yeah. interior experience. So there's four big strategies. And then within the first strategy, there's three tactics, so to speak. So the most important thing is to understand the strategies that if you can see in your mind, if you can visualize uh, two arrows pointing to the left and to the right, traction and distraction, and then two arrows point to the center representing external triggers and internal triggers. Now you have the four points on this compass that explain and can illuminate essentially how to become indistractable. And this isn't just some pet theory. You know, there's 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. So, you know, I, I hate these self-help books that are all about oh, this is what I think is the best thing you should do because it worked for me. No, 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 no. I need to see peer-reviewed studies. The first step is to master the internal triggers. That's the most important first step that no gurus techniques, no time management books, none of that stuff works unless we understand what to do when we feel discomfort. The second step is to make time for traction that so many folks out there have no idea how they want to spend their time. Oh, but I'm keeping a to-do list. No, it turns out keeping a to-do list has been shown to be one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. That in fact, it does nothing but reinforce your self-image as someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. And we can talk about that as well, about why time boxing is a much better technique, has been shown in study after study to be a much better technique than running your life on a to-do list because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So that's the second step is to turn your values into time by making time for traction. 
The third step is to hack back these external triggers. So this is where we get really pragmatic and we actually go through all of these external triggers, the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in your outside environment that can lead you towards distraction, but not just the technology. You know, we find that people report being much more distracted by stupid meetings that didn't need to be called, by their coworkers, by their kids. You know, for many of us who are working from home, we love our kids, but they can be incredibly distracting. What do we do about that? Well, I tell you exactly what to do step by step. And then the fourth and final step to becoming indistractable is to prevent distraction with pacts. And this is where we decide in advance to use what's called a pre-commitment device as a last line of defense, as a firewall against distraction. This is what the, the research literature shows us, that when we use these four strategies together, this is how we become indistractable and anyone can do it. Now, let's go back to the internal triggers, the very first step. I thought it was important to kind of lay out the, the, the four basic pillars. But when it comes to the first step of mastering internal triggers, as I said, that's the most important step. If you don't do this, none of the other techniques will work. You've got to realize that time management is pain management. So how do we master these uncomfortable sensations so that they don't become our master? So there's three big things that we can do. Number one is to reimagine the trigger, reimagine the task, and reimagine the temperament. Right? How many times do we tell ourselves that? I really know I should work out, but I don't feel like it. I really know I should be working on that big project at work, but I don't feel like it. That fundamentally what we're up against are our feelings. And this is a big revelation. People don't realize this, that it's not the pings and dings. It's the feelings. And one of the, the, the things that we do to ourselves, unfortunately, is that we define our temperament in a way that hurts us as opposed to serving us. Let me give you an example. We have this uh, concept in psychology and we call this ego depletion. Ego depletion is this idea that you run out of willpower, right? That willpower is like a depletable resource, like uh, the battery on your cell phone, you run out of willpower. And this is something that many people believe in the pop psychology community. And in fact, a few years ago, there was some good research that that claim to purport that it really works this way, that we run out of willpower like you would run out of battery or gas in a gas tank. But as we do in the social sciences, when something sounds a little too good to be true, we rerun the study. And what we now know after running rerunning these studies again and again, it turns out that these meta-analyses have found that there is no such thing as ego depletion. It turns out we do not run out of willpower. That's just not how willpower works except in one case. Carol Dweck, she's an incredible researcher at Stanford, she found that there is in fact one group of people who really do exhibit ego depletion. They actually run out of willpower, just like someone would run out of gas in a gas tank. And those people, and only those people, were people who believed that willpower was a limited resource. That's it. So we have to be very careful. And this is why I'm on this mission to tell people you are not addicted to technology. You are not a morning person. You do not run out of willpower. That's just, it's only true if you believe it's true. So we don't want to fall back on these, on this self image, on this temperament that doesn't necessarily serve us. What we want to do is to say, okay, you know what? Willpower is not a depletable resource. It's a feeling. Just like we don't say, oh, I was having a great time. I was super happy. Oh, and then I ran out of happy. That's not how feelings work. That's not how emotions work. And that's not how willpower works. We don't just run out of it. So what we have to start doing is changing this narrative 
to empower ourselves as opposed to thinking that, ah, there's nothing I can do. I'm out of willpower. I'm spent. I'm addicted to technology. That type of mindset doesn't serve us. In fact, it quite hurts us. I love how much you focus on the mindset. I think that there is so much that needs to happen internally before we can then get into executing tactics, right? If we can get ourselves bought into this case and think, okay, great. I, I am not a victim to my feelings. I'm not going to run out of energy or happy for that matter. What are a couple of ideas people can implement today? So for anybody who maybe up until this moment has been thinking, you know, I, I'm a victim to my feelings and now they're thinking, wait, no, I'm not. What can they do with that insight? What are a couple yeah. tactics that people might put into practice right away? Yeah. So what we find is in the study of people who are indistractable, what we find is that they don't have tremendous self-control. They don't have tremendous willpower. What they have is a system in place. That's what I learned in my five years of research. They know what to do when temptation rears its ugly head. To envision what you will do when you are tempted by the thing that prevents you from reaching those goals. And so it's the same thing with distraction. It's preparing in advance to know what you will do with temptation. If there's one mantra that I learned that you could summarize this entire book into, it's this. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That all distraction, all procrastination, it's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need a pill to fix you. All we need is to realize that if we are going to tackle these impulsive feelings that lead us off track, we need to plan ahead. If we wait till the cigarette is in the hand, lit, we're going to smoke it. If the chocolate cake is on your fork, you're going to eat it. If you sleep next to your cell phone, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning before you say hello to your loved ones. You have to plan in advance to know what you will do. So let me give you just one technique I use every single day. There are dozens of different things you can do that I talk about in the book, but this is one of my favorites. It's called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule acknowledges that abstinence backfires, that when it comes to frequently visible triggers, that telling yourself no can actually backfire. It's like pulling on a rubber band. If you tell yourself, don't do it, 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 finally you can't hold back anymore, you let go of the rubber band, it doesn't just stop where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And so when we tell ourselves, don't smoke that cigarette, don't eat that chocolate cake, don't check email, it actually makes us want it more. So instead of telling yourself no, what I want you to tell yourself is not yet. Not yet by saying, yes, I can give in to that distraction. Of course I can check email. Of course I can scroll the Slack channel. I can do that stuff whenever I want, but in 10 minutes, hence the 10 minute rule. Okay, so I do this all the time, you know, writing, I've written two bestsellers, hundreds of articles in HBR, New York Times. It's never easy. It's always really hard work. But part of becoming indistractable is getting comfortable with the discomfort, riding through that discomfort and realizing that it's like a wave. And this is what we want to do. So we set a timer for 10 minutes. And what we find is that nine times out of 10, when you give yourself that 10 minutes to just surf the urge, you will find yourself back on that task without this war with yourself telling yourself, no, 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 don't do it. 
by the time that timer is up, you'll find you'll be back doing what you wanted to do. And what you do over time is you change the 10 minute rule into the 12 minute rule and the 15 minute rule. And that's how we build this capacity to become indistractable and master these internal triggers. Yeah, I, I love that tactic. It's something that I've picked up and I've been using. And it's true, something that, you know, an urge that feels absolutely overwhelming in the moment, it will back off. And to your point, sometimes at the end of 10 minutes, you still want to do the thing. Do but it. you've you've created some space. More times than not, you're probably not going to do the thing. And right. we're going to call that progress, right? Right. And what you're doing is you're establishing self-efficacy. That's the most important criteria. The reason that running your life on a to-do list backfires is that nobody ever finishes everything on their to-do list. What it does is reinforce the self-image that you see, you still didn't do all those things on your to-do list, loser. And so that we begin to internalize this ridiculous dialogue with ourselves. Oh, I must not be very good with time management. I have an addictive personality. I have a short attention span. People start telling themselves these lies, these myths that don't serve them, not because they're bad, but because they're using a silly productivity system that doesn't work. As opposed to when you become indistractable, when the only way you measure yourself is, did I do what I said I was going to do without distraction? That's it. Not did I finish the task, but did I do what I said I was going to do with my time without distraction for as long as I said I would, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, doesn't matter. Every time you do that, you're reinforcing your self-image as someone who lives with personal integrity. I said I was going to focus for 15 minutes, and that's what I did. And building that self-efficacy helps build that muscle, that capacity to believe in your ability to do it again and again and again. Yeah. I think self-efficacy is a really nice way to capture the feeling that you leave your book with. It is empowering. It's not just, I'm going to go implement these 20 tactics and then I'm going to feel like a failure because they didn't work because we weren't addressing the internal piece. And I would love to get your thoughts on what we do in our workplace. For me personally, I work for myself. And so I have a lot of luxury to to make decisions about how I spend my time. But for most of us, there's still at least one person above us. And a lot of companies run on this assumed culture of, yeah, be intentional with your time and set your priorities. But when the person above you snaps, you're expected to jump. Uh, and I would love to get your thoughts on how we can start to take some sense of control over that experience. Sure, sure. So so a few things. One, I would say that that experience that you have of being your own boss is actually one of the more challenging positions to deal with distraction because, you know, every job I would classify as a schedule maker or a schedule taker. A schedule maker, you know, if you're a restaurant worker, for example, or a factory worker, you take the schedule you're given. Here's when we need you to come in and we need you to do this job, do it again and again and again until your hours are up, right? And then you get to go home. And from a distraction perspective, that's not usually where, where we find struggles. Where we find a lot of struggles is with the professional who has to make up their own calendar because your biggest job is prioritization, and that's not something we think of as our primary job. We think about, oh, I've got to close deals and I've got to, you know, service my customers and I got to make people happy. But no, you're actually, your primary job is to properly prioritize your time. Because if you don't, you're going to run real fast in the wrong direction. Oftentimes what we end up doing with our time is the easy and the urgent 
at the expense of the important and hard work that actually moves us forward. So don't discount that experience. I think a lot of people struggle with what uh, with what you struggle with as their own boss. But then I get a call at 9 p.m. on a Friday night from my boss telling me they need something, right? What do I do? I'm indistractable, but my boss isn't. And so this brings up a bigger point. Distraction at work is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. What does that mean? If you can't raise your hand and say, hey, you know what? I'm not able to get my work done because I'm constantly interrupted. I'm not able to do my best work because I can't work without distraction. If you can't say that at your workplace, that's a symptom of a bigger problem. Because the problem of distraction at work, what I found in my five years of research, is truly that we can't talk about the problem of distraction at work. That organizations that are indistractable, it's not that they don't use technology, it's that they give employees what we call psychological safety, the ability to raise their hand and say, hey, you know, can we fix this problem? Because this is a problem like any other. Those are the kind of companies that are indistractable. So I tell you in the book how to change that company culture. And of course, I acknowledge that, you know, if you're the big boss, you have a lot more leverage in changing that company culture, but everyone can actually play their part first by becoming indistractable themselves. And then, of course, if you have direct reports, there's all kinds of techniques that you can use. For example, schedule syncing is an amazing way. It's such a simple practice of sitting down with your boss and showing them how you plan to spend your time and then asking them to help you reprioritize the things that you didn't put in your schedule yet. But it's a killer practice that your boss will absolutely worship the ground you walk on if you do this practice of schedule syncing. These are just a few things that you can do to help your relationship with your boss become indistractable and then affect the larger company culture as well. What I think is so interesting about what you just said, and I experienced this a lot in my own work, it's that there are so many things we can do at work that our boss would appreciate and admire, but for some reason, we're afraid to do it because it it feels like we're asking for help. We're saying, I can't do it. We feel like we're saying, I can't manage all the work when really what we're saying is, I have a strategic intent to do the work that's most important. So let's sit down and have a conversation and align on what that looks like. Um, And I think there's, there's a real opportunity to shift our own mindset away from my boss is going to think I can't do it to my boss is really going to admire the way that I'm stepping up and taking control and asking for partnership and alignment. Every time you do this, if you sit down with your boss, they're going to say, oh, actually, you know what? There's that one thing not on your schedule that is actually more important. Take off that meeting. That's actually not that important. Do this instead with your time. And that schedule synchronization process is an absolute game changer because the secret your boss doesn't want you to know is that they have no clue how you're spending your time. Most bosses have no idea how their employees are spending their time and they don't realize how hard you're working. So show them, show them, hey, this is how much time this particular task is taking. Is that the appropriate prioritization of my schedule? If not, Help me change some things around. You know, maybe they don't realize how long a task is taking you. That's fine. But they will have no visibility unless you show them your schedule. So I want to close by asking, there is so much to take away from this book, but is there one thing that you feel like you want to leave my listeners with today? One call to action. It's really this idea of becoming indistractable, that it is the skill of the century, that there is no area of your life that isn't affected by your ability 
to control your attention and ultimately control your time. That is how we decide our life. You know, the world is becoming only more distracting and it is bifurcating into people who uh, let their time and attention be controlled by others and people who stand up and say, nope, I decide how I will control my time and attention. I will choose my life. I am indistractable. And so indistractable is supposed to sound like a superpower. It's supposed to sound like indestructible. And uh, I think it's, it is it is ultimately the skill of the century. You know, every complaint that I hear people have these days of, oh, I wish I read more books. I wish I consistently went to the gym. I wish I was fully present with my family. I wish I followed through on all the projects I have going on at work. It all boils down to this ability to focus your time and attention and become indistractable. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I enjoyed it and I can't wait for everyone to pick up your book. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nir. Pick up his book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, if you'd like to learn more. Have a question I can answer? Check out all the links in my bio for ways to reach me. You can also visit my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor Podcast page on LinkedIn, where I share exclusive tips, videos, and musings. Join me next week for an episode on how to handle it if you don't feel valued at work. Until then... Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.